Now, InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. To many Americans, politicians don't rank very high on the trust meter. In fact, they may rank somewhere near the bottom as trustworthy with most American voters. After all, how many campaign promises seem to be broken once a politician gets into office? But one expert says most politicians, perhaps 99% of them, are not corrupt. To explain this startling claim, let's welcome Stephanie Vance to InfoTrack. Thanks so much for having me on the show. I appreciate it. You bet. Now, you're the advocacy guru at Advocacy Associates, and you're author of Citizens in Action, A Guide to Influencing Government. And you spent many years, 20 years, as a congressional aide and lobbyist, so you work very closely with politicians. Why do you feel that virtually all of them are not corrupt? And it is sort of a startling claim, I agree, and after 20 years in Washington, D.C., people might think I'm a little suspect, but I can say that based on my interactions with politicians, both as a staff person for them as well as a lobbyist and an advocate, I strongly believe most of the ones that I've talked to, even the ones that I've disagreed with, really honestly felt that they were providing a public service or they were providing some common good, and although their definition of the common good might have been different from mine, most of them are in it really to provide a public service. Now, of course, there are exceptions, but for the most part, I do believe that they really are trying to do what they think is right for their constituents. So you're saying that the headlines may highlight certain people, and therefore, in the public's mind, all people are tarred with the same brush. Well, exactly. You know, you hear so much about corporate scandals or political scandals. Obviously, that's news. In part, it's news because it's a little bit different from the norm. Statistics show that most Americans actually like their own elected official. It's all those other people that are the problem. And I think a lot of that is because most Americans, you know, when they have an interaction with their own elected officials, actually often have a positive experience. But with lobbyists and corporate donors and and others trying to get what they want, they're kind of like in the candy store, they want to get certain things. Isn't there a huge temptation with politicians to take those donations or those campaign funds and then turn around and give them what they want? You would think that there was some sort of quid pro quo, but I tell you what, the most common phrase you hear in any elected official's office when you walk in the door is, how do you relate to my constituents? It's not, did you contribute to my campaign? It's not, have you dropped off a check for me lately? It really is, how do you and the issues that you're talking about connect to the people that I represent? Because every elected official knows that no matter how much money they have in their campaign coffers, if they don't get the votes of the people they represent, then they're not going to be in office. We're talking right now on InfoTrack with Stephanie Vance, the advocacy guru at Advocacy Associates, and she's author of Citizens in Action, A Guide to Influencing Government. Now, Stephanie, uh, many people say that the bill-writing process in Congress is similar to making sausage. You don't want to know what goes into it, but you disagree. In fact, you say it's more like Thanksgiving dinner. Could you tell us that? You know, when you go to you have your Thanksgiving dinner, you know, and your aunt wants a certain Brussels sprout dish and you want mashed potatoes and your sister wants sweet potatoes and someone insists that the turkey has to be cooked a certain way and another person insists that they want a certain kind of wine and all of a sudden you find that you have this meal that's just got 10 different side dishes because no one's willing to compromise on what they want and they're all being very strong advocates for their own form of mashed potatoes. And that's what happens in Washington, D.C. You know, our system 
system of government is really designed to be completely and totally inefficient. So when we as Americans expect that our elected officials are going to pass legislation quickly or that they're going to very easily come to some sort of agreement and not argue and bicker, that's not a realistic expectation. In fact, they're supposed to be arguing, and in fact, they're supposed to be gridlock. Does it seem like nowadays the rhetoric is more angry and perhaps hate-filled than it ever was between the two parties? Has it ever been this bad? Well, I think it's bad, but I do think it's been worse. There was the period of time when the Democrats had been controlling the House for so long, and then the Republicans took over, and I actually, I'm not bitter about it anymore, but I did lose my job in that election. But I think both sides, and I'm not going to say one side was worse than the other, but I think there was a lot of partisanship on both sides during that time in the mid-1990s. So I think partisanship is just something that comes with the territory. You know, when our founding fathers set up our system of government, they basically set it up so that people would be arguing with each other all the time, and so that's what you see. How has the Internet affected this? Because it seems like now just about everybody with a keyboard can put their two cents worth in, and in the past, of course, we might not have ever heard from those people. Well, I think that's true, and I think it's interesting that it's a good point that you make about it being two cents, because in many cases, some of those communications are worth about just that. The uh, wonder of the Internet is that it can bring citizens closer to their elected officials, but it has also really increased the amount of form communications, of spam communications that are going into a legislator's office. And speaking of that, do politicians actually ever read those emails or ever really get that feedback? Well, I will tell you, you know, for the several members of Congress I worked for, they always asked us to provide to them 10 to 15 of the most personal or thoughtful communications that the office would receive in a week. And I'll be honest, it was sometimes difficult to find 10 or 15 letters that were personal, thoughtful, relevant to our district. Out of the hundreds and sometimes thousands of communications that would come into the office that week, So they do read them, but in order to make sure that your communication rises to the top and really gets the attention it deserves, you have to be strategic about it. You have to write a personalized communication. You have to be specific about what you want the legislator to do. And most importantly, you have to demonstrate that you're relevant to them. What's the best way to do that? A phone call, a letter, an email? doing an in-person meeting. If you can come to Washington, D.C., or if you can meet with them in their district offices, because every Washington, D.C. legislator has a staff person or two or three or nine in their legislative districts, having some sort of meeting with a staff person or a legislator is very powerful. But to me, I don't really care whether you make a phone call, send an email, or use a carrier pigeon. What's most important is that your message be very personalized and thoughtful And again, that you are communicating with those that actually represent you. So when you're saying prove that you're relevant, is that what you mean, that you're actually somebody from their district? Absolutely. You know, a lot of people try to communicate with legislators that they think are more important or in charge. You know, I know Nancy Pelosi gets letters from all across the country because she's the Speaker of the House. But, you know, the ones that she's really going to focus in on and pay attention to are the ones that are from her particular congressional district. That's where your power lies. My main goal here is to make sure that your listeners understand that they have an amazing, amazing ability to influence their legislators, that they really can make a difference. Part of the reason I think why people are frustrated is that they don't understand how to do it. And so in Citizens in Action, we try to lay that out, um, outlining, you know, the very uh, four key techniques for being an effective advocate, knowing what you want, who you're talking to, how to talk to them, how to follow up, and giving you all the tools and resources you need to do that.
Stephanie Vance, she's the advocacy guru at Advocacy Associates. She's also author of Citizens in Action, a guide to influencing government. The website is advocacyguru.com, all one word. Stephanie, we want to thank you so much for joining us on InfoTrack. Great. Thanks so much for having me, and I hope we can chat again soon. You're listening to InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know.